Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 47 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. This evening's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros. Um, The Alabama quarterback became a very rich man last week because of his S2 Cognition score. In baseball, uh, we as hitters, we want to take the balls and we want to swing at the strikes. And if we do that, we will do well. And that is called decision making. So S2's got a great approach to that whole decision-making part of the game. It's awesome stuff, and we appreciate that partnership. Um, so far tonight, I am joined by, uh, you know, like two of the of the great humans in the state of North Carolina, hmm. uh, Joe Healy and Aaron Fitt. Gentlemen, good evening. How are you doing? Hello there. Hi, Runes. We're doing I think great, that's man. indisputable. Two of the yeah. greatest humans in North Carolina. I don't know how long that list is, but we're definitely on it. We're on somewhere. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. Big yeah. week, by the way. Uh, big week for S two cognition uh, around the draft. Felt like that was. Uh, heard that name quite a bit. They did get a lot of, of. They got a lot of pub, didn't yeah. they? What's the quarterback's uh, name? Something Young, right? Bry, uh, Bryce Young. Bryce Young. I keep wanting to call him Bryant Young. Bryce Young. Yeah. Bryce yeah. Young. Yeah. But yeah. I, I heard that. I heard the name all over. It's a lot, a lot of good pub for for S two cognition last uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Fitzy, when you go when you go pro as a golfer, when you retire up your writing cleats and you go pro as a golfer, do you think you would interview caddies and demand S two cognition scores? Like you need a good decision maker yes. on the bag, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, it's just you either got it or you don't. You know, like a, 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 it's only so much time. You know, you're on the clock. It's golf trying to address their pace of play problem, just like baseball yeah. is. I just saw a headline about that today. Uh, I, I need I need I need a dynamic caddy um, who, who's hardwired you know, to process this information quickly. And it's, it's like pitch recognition, you know, Some, yeah. sometimes you either got it or you don't. And that's why we need our friends at S2 to help you out with that. I could see you just verbally undressing your caddy mid round Fitzy. And I'm here for it. Like it's, yeah. it's competitive and we got to be adults. And if you can't take getting yelled at, then I'm sorry. Well, I'm I mean, actually not sorry. That's right. I mean, and, and you guys, you know, you have to absorb my wrath often. I know because uh, it's this is a competitive business, but you know what? Um, you guys are, are, you handle it well. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud right. of you guys. got to be skin. adults. Now, Fitzy, you may need your thick skin for the next topic, the inane banter part of the podcast. Mm. So um, I was told, I I was on the phone with a gentleman today that grew up in the great state of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And this gentleman told me, and I'm paraphrasing, if you're west of the 95, if you're west of I-95, that's... That's fake Massachusetts. First of all, first of all, the, the <laughs> 95. Roots. I know. I've been on the West Coast too For long. For Pete's sake. Who calls it the? Is that's that the no, that's California? California right? that's, yeah, which yeah, that's I right. love. Don't get me wrong. I find, yeah. that, I find yeah. that so fun to say. I do it all the time. Just yeah. fun. The 10, the 405, exactly. the 601. It's great. Uh, but no, it's just, it's just, well, first of all, in Massachusetts, we call it 128. Um, even though it's also I-95. That what they're talking about is the 128 belt line. It's it's, it's uh, 128 and 95. It's both those things. Uh, if you live outside 128, then um, you don't exist to the people inside 128. I mean that is true. Uh, yeah. You know we we've us Central Massachusetts people we've been ignored too long. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's time to rise up. To rise honest, up, folks. Central Mass. And uh, you know Worcester County. Worcester County is going to make itself heard. 
Oh gosh. Do, Joe, do you have like a? Is there like a natural um, rivalry with like Fitchburg, Mass? Like that's, you know. Is... Yeah, that's so. I, I was born in Lemonster, same town. Jonathan Santucci was born. Duke Ace, Johnny Appleseed, uh, and Aaron Fit, the big three, and. Big um, three. <laughs> and 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 Lemonster's arch rival, arch rival is Fitchburg. Yes, that's uh, no no love lost between the Red Raiders and the Blue Devils. Let me tell you. Oh wow, mm. Fitzy, can you repeat the big three again? I want to make sure I document this. Jonathan Santucci, Johnny Appleseed, yeah. and, and of course and, and, Aaron, and Aaron Fit. Fit. Yeah, that's right. So so okay. So here's the question. The question is: I want you guys to pick a play, a town near where you grew up. That is like when you reference that town, that's like authentic. So let me give you an example. Hmm. I'm from Delaware County, Pennsylvania, you know, suburbs, the streets of the suburbs of Philly. And I take a lot of pride in being from Delco. It's kind of like your, you know, blue collar, lunch pail, hmm. you know, the people that just come out of the city, you know, blue collars is the description, right? That said, Delaware County has a lot of towns in it. And the town I grew up in, Newtown Square, is by far the softest part of Delaware County. Like checks out. Yeah, we, we are very white collar. Um, God bless my parents. They worked hard. They did well, right? And so I was I was embarrassed by it as a kid, but um, you know they did great. Good for them, right? So when I reference Delco, which I reference all the time, I'm fraudulent. Like that's so. So if you if if someone if I were to say I'm from Delco. Somebody in the know, if they wanted to sniff me out, they'd say where? I'd say Newtown Square, and they'd, they'd, they'd snicker at me. If I said something like Clifton Heights or Prospect Park or Sharon Hill, they'd be like, oh, okay, I better not piss this guy off. Yeah. So that's my question. Fitzy, you go first. Give me a town in Central Mass where you drop that town name. It's like, okay, this dude's authentic. This is legit Central Mass. Yeah, yeah, listen. Um, uh, that's, that's Pittsburgh? Um, f- f- screw Fitchburg. No, a <laughs> bunch, bunch of posers, posers those people. like Newtown Square. Not, not on, not on Fitchburg. Um, I mean, I mean, look, I, you got to watch out for the South Ash crew over there, South Ashburnham, um, as our neighboring town. I grew up in, in Westminster, South Ashburnham, uh, is where the high school was. And uh, listen, those are mean streets, mean streets of South Ash. Um, yeah. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's an obscure one for you. But that's what I'm gonna go with. I like that very much. Joseph, what say you? Well, if as far as Houston suburbs go, because I grew up in a in a north side of Houston suburb, shout out to Spring, Texas, which is like an overused. You see, I mean, you see Everyone's players from Spring, Texas in college baseball from Spring, Texas, and oh, but seriously. Spring is like kind of an overused name. Like a lot, there are a lot mm. of people that are technically from Spring, but if you're actually from that area a person whose address says spring might say, well, I live in Klein or some people say I live in the woodlands, yeah. uh, which by the way, woodlands is the new town square of like the Northern Houston suburbs. That's a now I'm insulted. I new town square way rougher than the woodlands, but we'll cover that. That's for another <laughs> podcast. But the, there's a couple of places. One, if, if to know you're really from that general area of the Houston suburbs, there's a town kind of, I say town, there's a suburb North East of Houston called Humble, Texas. Uh, it's where Rob Vaughn is from, by the way. Shout out Rob Vaughn. Um, H but, like like Humble with an H, like, like yeah, the like word the word. So the the word humble, and that's that's my point is that people who don't know would say humble, mm-hmm. but it's pronounced humble. Um, so that's that's certainly one. Uh, there's also a town kind of further north, north of the woodlands, kind of over by a town called Conroe, called Cut and Shoot, Texas. <laughs> okay. And there's like not yeah, that's authentic. <laughs> There's there's really not a shoot. whole lot going on in cut and shoot Texas. So you, you got to cut and shoot for God's sakes. Cut and it's shoot. Just, it's just as it is. It's C U T space A N D space S H U U A S H O O T. Oh my yeah. gosh! Cut that's and gorgeous. shoot Texas. In the world, that cut is wow. Cut and shoot Texas. I, oh my gosh! That's now that's an answer. Wow. I mean, yeah, this, yeah. the show's over. I'll see you guys next week. I, I have no follow-up questions, Joseph. I'm not prepared for follow-up questions. I will be Googling Cut and Shoot Texas all week. I, there, I, I need to learn more about it. That is awesome. The, you know, one of the genesis of this conversation, besides that unnamed person from Massachusetts, Fitzy, uh, saying that everyone west of the 95, there I go, the 95 again. Uh, boy, I'm really a West Coaster now, yeah. um, is fake mass, is when we ranked Northeastern in the chat, someone who can identify themselves or choose not to wrote Brookline stand up. And that I almost 
tripped over my computer laughing so hard. That was that well was played. That was good. Yeah, Brookline stand up. So anyway, yeah. that was you fun. don't just waltz into Friedman Diamond. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, you certainly not this year. You don't. Yeah. Come on now, go Huskies. South Ashburnham, very good. I, I believe I'm going to see the Huskies this weekend. By the way, down in Wilmington, uh, yeah. oh, the, huge the, number, the number 25 ranked Northeastern Huskies coming down uh, to take on um, UNCW in, in a CAA clash, which is pretty exciting. I'll be honest with you, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, heck yeah. Hey, I, I think Northeastern, like when they were in that 2021 um, uh, Fayetteville regional, I didn't feel like they were just like a, you know, two and Q show up and get, you know, get the barbecue type of thing. Like, like they were legit. Like I thought they could legitimately do damage. Now I didn't realize that NJIT was going to play so well. And then Nebraska mm. played out of their minds. And, um, but yeah, like I, that, that's, this is not a flash in the pan. I know we've said that it's a, it's redundant on this podcast, but Northeastern's a legit good college baseball program. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of I feel for them a little bit just because it, it feels like they've never, from a postseason standpoint, never gotten their just due, because mm-hmm. they made it in what, what year was it they were controversially made it eighteen? I think it was eighteen when they went to NC State. And yeah, and so there was well. a lot of, you know, ire about them getting in, and whether you agree or not, that just was the reality of the situation, and then. In 21, you allude to runes. I, I stumped like crazy for that team when I was doing like, uh, you know, I, I pretty regularly do a podcast um, with our, our friend Matt Jones from the Arkansas <clears throat> Democrat Gazette. He has me on periodically and I stumped pretty hard for them saying, hey, they've got the top of their rosters, SEC level players. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just kind of went out and were just kind of, you know, that that weekend. And so I say all that to say, like, it, it does feel like we're, we're still kind of waiting for them to. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of I don't want to say fatigue because it's not that big of a deal, but I think there is a little bit of a kind of waiting for them to make their national moment um, because that I think there's an association with them in the postseason of either being fraudulent or having not deserved it. And so I think those of us in the know understand that that this team is for real and this program is for real. We're just kind of waiting for them to to show yeah. the the nation, if you will. That's that's the next step in their progression is you, know, you now you're in a regional you know win a game win a couple games get to a regional final and like mm-hmm. you know UNC Wilmington's a program that's been making regionals for for two decades now and still hasn't won one but they've been in a bunch of I feel like they've been in some regional finals yeah like nine of them yeah yeah, yeah I mean they've yeah in the two thousands they've been in like I want to say like nine maybe it's seven well, but it's re- a big number regional twenty sixteen uh, Columbia regionals. regional is the one that stands out to me that that yeah. was there for the taking they just that's it that's one that I was on. thinking of too that were they they were two and zero they were in the catbird seat and and I feel like that's not the only time they've been in a regional final but I could be wrong about that but uh, but that's you know that's the next step is win a couple of games get to regional final and then the next step is to win a damn thing you know and it's like Northeastern maybe you can skip a step and just win, win one but like you, you got to do something you know once you get in I mean there's certainly that's that's Joe's right mm-hmm. very cool. Hey boys, let's fast forward um, to can we um, the great, the great yeah, Kendall yeah. J. Rogers jumps in here. I was can we say, do what, Fitzy? Kendall, Kendall, you already missed the section of the show where we talked about Spring, Texas. Okay. So, um, hey, Rogers, Kendall, you ever been to Cut and Shoot? Cut and Shoot, Texas. I don't think Kendall can hear us. Kendall may not be able to hear us. <laughs> That's Kendall's got the perplexed look on his face right now. That's not, right. Mouth agape. When we all agreed to have Kendall just drop in the middle of the podcast, oh, we forgot that there's three minutes of every podcast where Kendall's trying to figure out his equipment. Yeah, of course. We did forget that. So, Can you hear us, can, and can we hear you, Kendall? Can you hear me? We yes. hear you. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm following a very interesting story right now. So I got home from this uh, party, and I get a link sent to me. So get this, guys. Mm. Not, not to drop a bomb on you, but the state of Ohio – has halted betting on all Alabama college baseball games because of suspicious wagering activity detected by the Crimson Tide against LSU on Friday. What? And from what I understand, uh, I was just talking to a couple people who do a lot of gambling, and they said this would not happen unless they had like legitimate proof that there's some sketchy stuff going on. I don't understand. So ESPN.com is reporting – that in the state of Ohio, you they have halted any any betting on Alabama baseball games. Well, now we've really made it as a sport. I know. I, so, time. I mean, this there is fascinating. Obviously more, there are obviously more important threads to follow here, like maybe some stuff with some real implications. But I would really like to dig in on Kindle's sources as a couple of people who do a lot of gambling. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, 
I'd like Kendall, to know. Did you talk to my dad's barber? Names. Is that who you just talked to? <laughs> yeah, I, I will not name any names. Um, I'm not saying you uh, need to name them. I'm just curious, like, oh <laughs> just gosh. think of people who I go to Lake Charles a couple times a year. <laughs> that, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's but it's awesome. shocking. So, so yeah, it, it is an ESPN.com story that the state of Ohio betting commission has banned the betting of base of university of Alabama baseball games throughout the entire state. What isn't, isn't baseball gambling like you it's odds betting, right? Like, so yeah. So theory... baseball, you can only bet the money line. So I'm, I'm, I'm like learning yeah. things on the fly here. So in the state of Ohio, you can only bet on money lines in college baseball, but I kind of quickly like went through the box score of that game and like there's nothing like there's nothing in there that's weird. Like Alabama, you know, got up big on out Al- or uh, LSU got up big on Alabama. Alabama came back, made it interesting. LSU still won. Yeah, no offense to Alabama, but it was a very ordinary result, right? Like LSU, yeah. L- LSU sweeping Alabama at home was a high percentage outcome. Yes, I would think. And, and LSU was a heavy favorite, and they won a money line game. So, like, I'm still I'm just trying to figure out looking at the box score, like how there's anything remotely sketchy going on here well it's it says that there's the 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 wagering activity was suspicious so i mean i don't know what that means i mean was it just i I have no idea there's somebody involved in the game that was either a mom or i mean it could be a mom or dad wager to i mean i don't know i don't want to speculate but Uh, that's really interesting without speculating specifically i'm most familiar with this type of situation in tennis uh, tennis yeah. is a sport that's fraught with hmm. this kind of activity because it's an it's a the first thing is because it's an international sport. So you have people in, you know, Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, uh, Africa, like basically all around the globe who follow tennis to some degree and kind of understand it and bet on it. And then tennis's minor leagues, they call it the challenger circuit or the futures tour, make so little money that they are often approached by gamblers to tamper with results. Mm-hmm. Um, throw games, throw matches, all that kind of stuff. And again, very clear. I'm not saying any of this happened, but that language is what gets used in these situations. They call it suspicious betting activity. So that's that's where I'm familiar. And that's the only reason I draw that I draw that link. Obviously, we have in this particular case, we have very little information. Kindle is literally reporting it to all of us, as you could probably tell by yeah, us. Yeah, it was an ESPN.com like, oh, okay. story. But anyways, and, and, we, we can talk about it more later. But it's just like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So that story on the front page of ESPN.com, right below a story, uh, another college baseball story. Apparently, I just saw this one. A, a, a Texas A&M Texarkana baseball player was struck oh, yeah. by a stray bullet during a game. <laughs> I mean... Good Lord. What's going on over there? It's crazy. Hey, uh, boys, let me trace. So while while we're on the serious stuff, um, let me transition to we're taping on Monday. And obviously, Kendall, you reported today that Mississippi State um, moved on from. Or you didn't report it or. No, the the program reported. I just tweeted the news out. Okay, you tweeted it. Yep. So you tweeted that that Mississippi State uh, moved on from Scott Fox, all their pitching coach. And. You know, I, hey, as our sport grows up, this type of stuff we were talking about on our thread, can we ever remember a midseason change like this that is, you know, directly linked to, hey, this position group's not doing well enough, so we're moving on from that position group coach. That that feels new for college baseball. Um, I, I just want to say this. I tweeted on top of Kendall's tweet because I think so highly of Scott Foxhall. I just – I think he's awesome. And – the, I, I I don't want these sentiments to come off as critical of Chris Limonis because this is the job. Like if you're Chris Limonis, these are the tough decisions. I'm sure Chris Limonis has not slept um, when he made this decision, assuming he made it last night. I, I bet you he didn't sleep a wink last night. Like that is awful. Like he won a national title with Scott mm-hmm. Foxall and you know, but I, but the, the, here's the thing in our sport, the job college coaching, your job is to win games. But it, what's weird is the reward is the relationships you take with you. And the, the reason I bring that up is because I, I tweeted on top of Kendall's tweet, you know, just my affection for Scott Foxhall. And one of the people that liked my tweet, there's a lot of people that are, you know, coaches that like my tweet. Landon Sims was one of the people that liked our tweet. And so it's like Scott Foxhall leaves here with a national title ring, but the relationship with a, a future big leaguer like Landon Sims, like that's the real prize. And I'll tell you guys this quick story on, on, on Scott Foxhall. 
I went from Arizona State as an assistant coach to being a head coach at Phoenix College, who was, which was the most downtrodden junior college program in Arizona at the time. And, you know, it's, it's quite the ego kick, right? Like at Arizona State, you're thought of as a big deal. You're treated that way, at least. And now I'm the 14th ranked junior college head coach in the state of Arizona. And Scott Foxhall came in for a recruiting trip. And I had no players. He was at College of Charleston with John Pulowski at the time. We had zero players to offer them at the time. No fits at all. And I didn't know Scott Foxhall at all. He reaches out to me. And says, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. I want to hear some Murph stories, which was a great way to break the ice. And, you know, he's just we have lunch and he's the best. You know, that was probably 2006. You know, known him ever since. You guys know him. I mean, he's the best. Right. Great coach, better person, et cetera. And so it's it's heartbreaking to see this. It's traumatic for your family. It's you know, it causes you to doubt yourself as a coach, all those types of things. But, you know, I, I, I just think that. We all know Scott Foxhall is a great coach. The guy's got a national championship ring and the, the relationships he's built are what are really going to last. And it's just tough. I, I get it, but it's, it was a tough, it was a tough thing to read today. Yeah. And, and I just, I echo everything you said, you know, think the world of Scott Foxhall um, saw him early this year and you could already tell, like mm-hmm. it was wearing on him, man. Like, you know, and, and they, Hey, we all get it. This team won a national title two years ago. It's not very long ago, but they've not been good since then. And it's one of the largest, most passionate fan bases in the country. And frankly, like a pound of flesh was going to, was going to happen. And I think it sucks that they couldn't wait until after at the very least, we couldn't wait till at the end of the season to, to, to get their pound of flesh. But like, Whatever. I mean, it's, you know, like you said, it's the SEC. It's the most competitive league in the country. Fans, you got to think this was this was driven by external pressure. I mean, like, you know, I, I hate it. I hate it for, for all these guys. We, we, we like the whole coaching staff, you know, obviously we all do. And Lem's in a, in a tough position too, you know, but mm-hmm. like it, it's, I don't know. It, it just stinks, guys. I, I'm yeah, just it, rambling. It stinks. It does, it does stink, you know, but I will say this. I mean, when you look at the decision as a whole, and and I agree with you, I think at this point, like if you're Mississippi State, you've got six conference wins, let, let's face it, like it's not like they're going to wake up tomorrow and rattle off a bunch of wins and, and make the NCAA tournament. I think I'd be right. ultra surprised that happened. Um, so I, I would have waited until the end of the year. But I mean, the, the facts are that Mississippi State two years ago was 187th in the country or last year was 187th in the country in ERA, and they're 206 in the country in ERA this year. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, that, that's pretty bad for, for a program that won a national championship that has the best facility in college baseball. Like, that, that's, that's brutally bad. So I, I love Scott Foxhall as well, but at the end of the day, guys, this is a, a results-oriented business, and those are pretty poor results. Yep. Two things can be true. Just, I mean, to echo so much of what you guys have said, two things can be true. The results have not been good on the pitching staff. Um, perhaps it was it was time for for both parties to move on from that. It's also true that he's incredibly respected, has a long track record mm-hmm. of success. If Scott Foxhall wants to be a pitching coach again, he's going to have a line of of potential suitors who mm-hmm. are interested in bringing him on. So, um, you know, he, unless he decides. To, to move on, like this is not the end of, of Scott Foxhall being a high-level pitching coach. Well, yeah. the, the, the the crazy thing about college baseball in general, too, guys, is, you know, I can, I can look at Scott Foxhall this way as well. I mean, you think back to two years ago, um, you know, they have um, – they had Landon Sims, who got hurt, was it week two against Tulane. He was out for the year, preseason All-American. Yes. Um, who was the Sunday starter that got hurt that year, too? It wasn't Stinnett. It was um, – well, so that was, I mean, it's. Oh, uh, that was the the kid from Furman, um, Stone Stone uh, um, Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, Stone Simmons. He got hurt. What? What? A few weeks they later, a ton, they had a ton of injuries. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you kind of feel like last year to give to, to give Scott some credit there. Like you kind of feel like last year certainly would have gone a little differently. And let's not forget how quickly Mississippi State's fortunes could have changed this offseason. Um, you know, they were in the mix with Tennessee and LSU for Paul Skeens. Mm-hmm. If Paul Skeens goes to MSU this year and Kate Smith or whomever is your Saturday guy, 
and not the guy you're expecting to be Friday, the, the Friday pitcher, or you're not expecting, you know, a freshman to your Friday guy, like the complexion of the staff is totally different. Yep. So that that's just that that's how razor, you know, razor thin the margins can be sometimes. And here's the thing too, Mississippi State, like I I I, I don't want to say this in a pejorative way, but like this is a program that has had volatile results. You know, I, I think we just assume it's a historic brand that's good every single year and all that stuff. And, you know, because Skip Bertman and Ron Polk are the godfathers of the SEC. Mm-hmm. But here's the truth. In 2010, which is not a million years ago, they were 11th out of 12 in the SEC. In 2015, mm-hmm. they were 14th in the SEC. That's 14 out of 14. Last year, they were 14th out of 14 in the SEC. So this pro- and you can build an awesome stadium, but guess what? In the SEC, that doesn't really separate you from anybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got an awesome stadium, right? Like you got more seats. Awesome. I mean, it is. It's it's you know, as John Cohen has said a million times, it's the Carnegie Hall of college baseball. It really is awesome. But they're all awesome down there. So I think that that's and now for Mississippi State, it, you know, you always hear those rumors that oh, maybe they're going to move on for Chris Lamonis. I at some point, like now, you're going to go from 2016 to now. John Cohen, Andy Cannizzaro, uh, Gary Henderson, Chris Limonis, and coach number five. Like, at some point, you got to just pick a captain and dig mm-hmm. in, right? Like, and, and volatility's in your past. Chris Limonis didn't show up, and then Mississippi State became volatile. That predated him, my opinion. What this, what this kind of tells me, and this is reading tea leaves. This is not based off of anything I've been told, like, firsthand but typically when a coach i've been following coaching changes long enough to go when a coach is forced and this go this is especially the case in football and basketball but when a coach is forced to get rid of an assistant in the middle of the season like that nine out of ten times is a situation where the athletic department tells tells the coach like hey either you make a change or we're going to the top on this thing and you just kind of wonder if this kind of this kind of gives you an idea like we've heard rumblings out of Starkville that like you know what they might make it just a wholesale change throughout the whole program and this might be an indication that they were actually kind of serious about that like that wasn't just hubbub like they were serious about potentially making a, a change at the top so again As I you mean know, Kendall it's not the it's not this is what always makes me nervous in modern college athletics yeah. this is not the AD that hired Chris Limonis that right. always makes me a little anxious right like it's that John Cohen is who hired Chris Limonis. John Cohen's the AD at Auburn now. So, mm-hmm. you know, that always provides anxiety. Well, and you're in a program like Mississippi State. And, and again, this is this is just looking at other co- other AD change and other coaching changes. But if you're Zach Selman, you came over from Oklahoma, you haven't made your big impact hire yet, you're in a program where, you know what, if you're, if you're making a new baseball hire, that's a huge deal to that school. And so yep. you make a big splash. So – could be a little bit viewing it that way as well, but I will say this: I 100% believe they should stick with Chris Limonis. I don't, I don't believe in Second. this idea that someone just forgets one year how to coach. I mean, let's talk about Jake Gotro, for instance. You know, he's a guy that was our assistant coach of the year two years ago. Ultra talented coach, could have had the Tulane head coaching job. Chose to stay at Mississippi State. Do we think all of a sudden that Jake Gotro just doesn't know how to evaluate players and bring in the right players? No, like he's still a really good coach. So sometimes you just – I mean, sometimes there's some bad luck. And I, I think there's no a little question. bit of that involved when you look at these guys from an injury standpoint. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 
Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Let's do, uh, let's do, and, and I want to wrap it with this. What you said mm-hmm. a second ago, Joe, is spot on. Scott Foxhall, if he wants to keep coaching college baseball, my guess is he does. He'll have a job in a month, right? Like it's, you know, it, it's the, the guy is too good and well, way too respected. Um, he will not sit on the sidelines unless he chooses to. Let's do something fun in the SEC. Mm. Okay. Dylan Cruz is fun in the SEC. His on-base percentage, whether you look at overall or in conference, they're within five points of each other. His on-base percentage is 639, I think it might be 633 in in conference. It That's a joke, right? Like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> He's on base two out of every three plate appearances. He scored 71 runs so far. 71 runs. He's got a chance to score 100 runs in a college season. Hmm. So let's focus on the on-base percentage for a second, boys. Do you know who led the uh, SEC in on-base percentage in 2022? Please don't cheat. Uh, Sunny D. Yes, that's correct. Mm. Take a guess at the number, Joseph. Okay, so Cruz right now, we were saying he's in the 630s. Okay, I'll say um, 520. Fitzy? 498. Kendall, what say you? For Sunny D, it was like 530 something. That's it, five thirty nine. Yeah. So there were there were two players in conference last year that had an uh, OBP over five hundred. Care to guess who the second guy was? I know, I know. This is a really good trivia question, but did you know that Ryan Targotch led the uh, SEC in RBIs last year? Oh, I didn't know. Is that. It, is that the OBP guy too? No, nope. Targotch. But uh, right church, wrong pew. You're very oh. close. Oh, Dylan Rock. Dylan Rock, oh, five hundred three in conference play. So think about Ooh. that. There were two players last year in the SEC that scraped over 500 and, and sunny d 549 that's that's better mm-hmm. than scraping but and and dylan cruz at 639 633 that's insanity and okay so here's here's my my final part of the trivia question who led give me the top two players for runs scored in the sec overall uh top two run score play run scoring players last year in the sec overall stats and what was the what were their final numbers both famous, famous as uh, Bradfield, not Bradfield. It's a little bit of a trick question, hmm. but famous. Think famous, famous. I'll give you a hint. They're both still in the league. What was um, so was it? Cruz was Cruz one of Cruz, the two? Cruz year? won the league run scoring title last year. Langford. Langford, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll give you guys the number. Cruz scored 73 ones, runs last year, 73. He's at 71 today. <laughs> and Wyatt Langford scored 71 last year. It just, it just, I just, I, when I found these stats, I was like, gosh, dang. Like, d- we all know Dylan Cruz is doing something just totally bonkers. But the, the name of the game is to score runs, and it is totally bonkers. Can I, can I tell you something that's also crazy? Wyatt Langford is hitting 397 right now. And it feels like he's an afterthought because yeah, of how totally. good Cruz and Ethan Petrie have been. He's not even in the discussion. It's wild. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. 397, 10, 28. Mark and I have had this conversation a lot about Insane. guys like Charlie Condon at Georgia, yeah. who's having like a bonkers season. And it's just like, eh. And I also, I'd compare it to, uh, so <laughs> there's a headline um, for readers of The Onion. We'll, we'll maybe remember this one, that there's, there's a headline on The Onion one time that says like, holy shit, man walks on moon. Um, we take that as like a granted but it's like in hindsight it's like that would be crazy if you told someone (laughs) in 1910 that somebody was going to walk on the moon right yeah yeah Yeah. i feel that way about dylan cruz i had 
for an episode of Highway to Hoover coming out later this week, I had on Leah Van from The Advocate, and I asked her seriously today, like, are you just tempted to make the headline of every one of your stories? Like, wow, isn't Dylan Cruz great? Yes, but for real, <laughs> he's actually having one of the best seasons in college baseball history. And she was just kind of like, yeah, honestly, yeah. like you have to get creative, not to just, not to just like how many, yeah, how many times can you Cruz? write about Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens? Guys, yeah. we're, we're, we're yeah. 11 weeks into the season and he's hitting 490. Yeah. I mean, and by the what? way, like, like the pitching he's about to see, he's got a chance to tear that pitching up. I mean, no offense, but he's going to face Auburn, Mississippi state and Georgia. Like none of those teams are throwing the ball. Great. Well, and I will say this too, like, in conference play, Ethan Petrie had a little bit of an edge on him until this past weekend. And, you know, a couple of games I saw over the weekend, Petrie actually looked a little bit human. So I think he struck out three times. Joe, didn't he strike out three times in the finale or was that the Saturday game? I mean, it, just generally it wasn't a great yeah. weekend. Like I did not have a lot of moments where I thought like, wow, Ethan Petrie's really having a weekend. Like I just think it was yeah. a tough weekend for him generally. Yeah. Very good. Hey, before we go, before we leave the SEC – I, 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 I want to make a statement, then I'm going to ask you guys a question. So, like, I, I had this visual. I was on a plane this week, and I had this visual. I think about some of these SEC fan bases like Georgia, Alabama, A&M, Auburn. Like, the landing of the plane this regular season is not going to be pleasant for those fan bases, I don't think. Like, it's just going to be we, we have turbulence, then we don't have turbulence, then we find a good pocket air, then we're not in a good pocket air. It just feels like you're going to need a seatbelt. That that is what it is. Here's the question I want to ask you guys. Tennessee is one and nine on the road. And my concern with Tennessee is that their offense, even though it's starting to come into its own, it's only coming into its own at home. And is this an offense that will travel? Now, that said, they do seem healthier. They seem way more confident. Chase Burns, the bullpen is an absolute season changer, all that. But Tennessee, best case scenario, they're going to host a regional. There's certainly, I don't see a path to top eight for them. Like they would take something superhuman. So, well, is there well, road? Th- yeah. Go ahead, Kendall. I was going to say, I wrote about this in the postseason buzz today. So basically, they would need to win their final three series, assuming they win two out of three, right? That would get them to 17 conference wins. Uh, AM last year, I think, won 18 regular season conference games. And it was a top eight national seed with an RPI in the 20s. I think if they were able to get to 17 and they won a game or two in Hoover, they could be a very well be a top eight. Very well. They would certainly be in the discussion. I wonder, I wonder how much of AM last year, too, was they won the West. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a really congested West. Well. And Tennessee's not most likely not going to win the East because they've got South Carolina, Florida, yeah. and Vanderbilt in front of them. So yeah. I, I agree with your general sentiment, though. Like, I do think mm-hmm. there is a path where that you have to start to consider them and you know if if you're if you're a potential host non-sec host especially on the east coast so if you're wake or coastal those types of teams like you're really hoping tennessee gets in as a host like that is you don't want them as a two Mm -hmm. like you want no no part of them as a two so there's a lot of team you know as much as they've played the villain role there are a lot of teams you know, good teams in the ACC and, and, and what have you out here yeah. that are that are really well, rooting for that team to win a bunch of games. Yeah, and I would say this too. Like, they're going to have a full head of steam. It, let's just say they finish strong, right? And they know that they if they make a big run in Hoover, they can be a top eight. They're going to have a full head of steam, whereas like a team like South Carolina or Vanderbilt or LSU, like they're going to pretty much know they're already a top eight. And so like if you're those teams, like, like how hard are you going to try to win the SEC tournament? Whereas like – Tennessee is going to bring Chase Burns out a couple of times out of the bullpen. They're going to, you know, they're going to try to extend Drew Beam and uh, Chase Dolander in a ballpark that historically is is pitching friendly. And, and I so, think there's something to that point. If I may digress a little more here, um, the fact that the number one national seed has has not won at all since 1999, but you do have these teams like Ole Miss last year and Virginia in 2015 mm-hmm. and Oregon State in in 2007 that are like the last team in the field. Virginia was not the last team in the field in 2015, but they were three seed, right? Yeah. Um, that I do think that that there's a difference between having to ramp yourself up almost artificially um, because you've just cruised through the whole season. And now it's like, all right, now it's go time. Like, here we go. Yeah. And like, I feel like sometimes for some of those like dominant regular season teams, it can be more of a grind. It could be weighing on you more. Like we have to get to Omaha or this season's a disappointment. Like that's something mm-hmm. that concerns me about 
Wake Forest this year is mm-hmm. like they're in a position now where it's like, well, well, cripes, if we don't get to Omaha with this team, you know, then what? Like this is this is our shot. Like it's got to be now. And it's like that worries me because it, it absolutely it's got to be now. This is the, this is their team. And, yeah. and like if you're if you're again, the house, the proverbial house money team. I think that's super powerful. And, and actually like, and I wrote about, I don't know like wrote about this. I, I did write about this a little bit today with Stanford. I kind of yeah. like the fact that Stanford, you know, they were preseason number three or whatever. We thought they'd kind of steamroll their way through. Um, and it, and it has, it has been more of a grind for them, you know? And it's like, I kind of like the fact that they're getting pushed every week. Like they've been mm-hmm. whatever three or four weeks in a row. They've, they've been down four runs on a Sunday and come back to win. Uh, the fact that, you know, it's, I mean, all weekend it was a dog fight with UCLA and then they had to overcome some bullpen things and like this and that, but like, it's almost like this team is like, they've stayed in fight mode, you know, and it's, there's no cruising and, and, and they're still going to have something to play for right till the very end of the season. I, I kind of prefer that setup. I, it, yeah. It's like, it's, I, I like feel that way about LSU Fitzy. I share your concern with wake that wake has kind of overwhelmed everybody because they're so dang good. LSU, you know, maybe it's injury driven or, you know, who knows, but LSU just feels like week after week, we see them in these 15 round heavyweight fights. And I think that will serve them well. You know, again, LSU's pitching injuries, that's a real thing, right? Like we we always say you only need six or seven arms for the postseason, but that's even getting tricky for LSU. They just, they've had so much adversity on the mound, but I, I, I think LSU is going to enter the postseason, the most tested team in the country because they're wearing that bullseye. It almost reminds me of Virginia 2014 yeah. where everyone's just coming to get you every stinking weekend. And Virginia almost pulled it off. They almost yeah. went wire to wire until game three of the finals. And then Johnny Norwood clips them. You know, it's just crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. I mean, the only, yeah. I mean, the only thing that concerns you at LSU is, is when you play that many intense games and that many just you know nail biters you just kind of wonder like at the end of the year like do you just kind of run out of gas a little bit yeah. they've been and, pushed. And, and and even even virginia in 2014 is as great a season as they had i don't think it was quite wire to wire like i feel like there was some point during the season they lost a series like uh or, or two even like lsu has not lost a weekend neither is wake forest you know like they've so far through 11 weeks we're not all the way there yet but like They've it's legitimate wire to wire and and you know LSU I mean since the preseason they've been number one in I think every ranking certainly ours um, and so yeah like this would be a historic wire to wire situation if they could pull it off and again it won't be easy for all the reasons you've talked about no hey let's go to the ACC boys before we do that let's say thanks to our friends at Blast Baseball another one of our partnerships if you're ready to dominate at the plate Blast Baseball is trusted by more MLB and college teams than any other hitting solution the Blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat provides real-time feedback with every swing just go to blastmotion.com enter the code d1baseball at checkout to save ten dollars thanks to our good friends at Blast Motion um, as we go to the SEC, by the way, I, I, I'll just put a bow on the SEC by saying that as we sit here tonight, Dylan Cruz, the heavy, heavy favorite to win the Kurt Reed Award in 2023. I mean, I think that's obvious, the D1 Baseball Player yeah. of the Year. All right, so the ACC had some interesting results. We had a lot of road series wins of significance. Clemson at Boston College, North Carolina at Virginia Tech, Duke at Louisville, Miami. No, Miami at Louisville. Duke won the series at where? Virginia. Virginia, that's right. Yes, yeah, that was this weekend. Jeez. Sorry. Yes, blurry. Kind of a so big let, series, guys. It's been yeah. a long weekend. <laughs> All big series. So here's the question. of of Give me – Joe, I'm going to start with you. One thing in the ACC last week, and the thing that impressed you the most, like there was a lot of results that get your attention. What's the one that really made you stand up, figuratively? I think – well, first of all, you don't know whether I literally – I might have. That's right. I might have literally stood up. Got Brookline so stand up. That's right. Brookline stand up. Shout out Friedman Diamond. Um, <laughs> Second of the show. I think I think Duke taking care of Virginia, and not just because I picked it in our um, – and was reminded of that by the Duke baseball Twitter account because I'd kind Humble of forgotten brag. that I was the only guy who picked Duke. Wow. Um, but who's, who's counting, you know, honestly? <laughs> Somebody's a, counting. Little game among friends, you know what I'm saying? That's right. But just, Hell. I mean, Duke just kind of continues to roll on, and they've dealt with some some injuries, and they've continued to, to win ball games. And now that they have some series wins, especially the one against Clemson on the road, that are looking better and better by the day. But they took care of Boston College, and we kind of thought maybe that was the end of Boston College as a thing. And 
but BC has continued to play well. So now that just looks like a really good series win. And then they, they go to Charlottesville against a Virginia team that I think on paper, certainly on the position player side, but on paper, I think I, I don't want to speak for all of us, but we just think is more talented and Duke took care of business and wins two out of three there. And so that this, this has gone from a team that I thought a few weeks ago was, you know, this is probably a, a nice regional team to where now, I mean, I know you guys haven't done Kindle and Aaron, the nerd cast yet, but I mean, that's a team that is looking at hosting, oh, for um, sure. which would be interesting by the way, just as a side note, because I would, would Aaron, would they be able to host at Coombs? Like, yeah, so, so the Bulls are in town that weekend. So this actually, I meant to um, get out Bulls. I meant to text Chris Pollard to see what their plan is. Uh, yeah. But uh, I will do that before the third cast tomorrow. It's a great question. I mean, Coombs, I, I, I don't think so. I don't I, think so either. I mean, that's my okay. Opinion. So I'm going to show my lack of Durham knowledge. I'm assuming the old Bulls ballpark is gone. No, it's still there, but uh, yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, well, with, with NC Central moved out, I don't know if they've kept up the ballpark well enough. Gotcha. I mean, I, I mean, if they started now, maybe they could do it, but I don't think, I mean, you might need to like resod the grass. Like how much does it make. hold? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. I but think, like, it, I, I think, I think it's, it's big enough. I think it's big enough. If, if that was a viable option and we don't know that it is, you could host there. Well, I mean, let's not forget that uh, East Carolina hosted in Kinston one year. Yeah, there are other options too, like other minor, yeah. you know, the Mudcats or I don't. I mean, I mean, maybe even Greensboro is only an hour away. I don't know. Like, there's there's other options. Yeah. I mean, heck, UCSB hosted four hours away, seven hours away. Lake, Lake Elsinore, Elsinore, baby. That one year. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I would be 100 here. I mean, obviously, I, I would not be covering it. I'll be at some SEC regional, but like, I would be 100 here for a Duke regional hosted at the old Durham Athletic Park. You know, that'd like, be, that'd be awesome. I mean, there are some cool features, and I actually liked covering NC Central games there because there's like a there's a bar behind it called Boxcar. Yeah, it's like a like an arcade bar that has like an outdoor patio section that looks into the stadium, and there's like a patio behind right field. There's like an event space, like that overhangs right field. Like you could actually create like a legit atmosphere oh, yeah. there. It's a neat um, part of town. It is. It, it, but it's just a matter of if if they could do it. I don't I know. I feel like we need Duke hosting a regional at the old Durham uh, Bulls Park with Tennessee as a two seed. Oh, I feel like that would just be too great. Hmm. Somebody that get Jim be. Kerner on the horn and see if he can yeah. pull some strings to get to uh, get the old dap up and ready to go. Um, that would be wild. Runes, can I go with Miami, by the way, from my ACC sure. team? Yeah. I thought it was impressive that, you know, they, they win the first game of the series. Louisville takes it to them, wins 11 uh, nothing in the second game, and then they come back and beat Louisville with the offense and, uh, you know, that 10-7 win. And, you know, they've all of a sudden now won three straight series. I mean, you look at that league as a whole, you've got Miami's won three straight. Clemson's won four straight, and all of a sudden the, the hosting race in that league has gotten fascinating. When you look at Clemson and you look at Miami, yeah, uh, with those two teams rolling right now, I like like Miami's one of those teams that's been tested. You know, we've talked about their road yeah. schedule. It just turned out to be, you know, they've had to play at Florida, at Wake, at Virginia when Virginia was playing good, at Louisville, at North Carolina. I mean, that's a lot, uh, you know, for a team that's notoriously not good on the road. But they've they've stood up. Hey, Fitzy, can I take you off the ACC? I want to hear about Stanford and UCLA. Yeah. What is your so you kind of gave us your Stanford like you 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 feel like you're more in on Stanford having seen them in person yes. than you were before when you showed up. Yeah. And, and part of the reason for that, I think a major reason for that is because I think the bullpen is finally getting on track now. I mean, like over the last two weeks or so, um, you know, there's actually been an extended a little bit of an extended stretch now where both. Uh, Drew Dowd and Ryan Bruno have been awesome, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they weren't for the first. And Drew Dowd's in the bullpen period, uh, right? Yeah, he he and he and Bruno are kind of the one-two punch back there. They've got Joey Dixon in the starting role, uh, which I think works. I, I like Dixon. He actually he showed me some good stuff. Um, I, I wonder if they're going to wind up having to lean on him even more because there is a concern about uh, Matt Scott hitting that freshman wall. He's been their Saturday mm-hmm. starter a couple weeks in a row. He's not been sharp, not throwing strikes. Velocity's a little bit down. That's an issue for Stanford, no question. But uh, on the flip side, I mean, I feel actually pretty good about the bullpen. I mean, I wrote about it today. You can, you can check it out in my piece. But Bruno and Dowd have real stuff. And, and right now they're, they're confident and they're attacking. And they look good this weekend to me. Um, and so that to me is, is a little bit of a, of a difference maker. Um, and, and I, you know, their offense is really good. And 
defensively they, they weren't actually great this weekend, but they're fine. I mean, defensive personnel is fine. They're they're it's it's an SEC kind of position player group, you know, very physical team as, as it has been the last few years. And uh, yes, I, I think like they've just kind of quietly they're sitting in first place in the pack, you know, but you know they've been in the rankings all year long, but it feels like they've just kind of flown under the radar a little, you know, because it's been a little more of a struggle than it has for some other elite teams in the country. But at the end of the day, I think they're an elite team. I mean, I'm absolutely betting on this team to be in Omaha again this year. And does UCLA have a postseason run in them, or, or are they kind of, just because of some of the injuries they've sustained, they're probably a maker regional, and it would take something really, you know, they'd have to just get crazy hot to win a regional. Yeah, I mean, they played hard this weekend, you know, and they really, they're in position to win the series. I mean, they're up in the eighth inning of the rubber game and, and they couldn't finish it. And part of the reason for that is, you know, they're throwing Cody Del Vecchio, who's their guy in the bullpen for a third straight game. And he looked pretty gassed to me, you know, and, mm-hmm. and stuff was down and he's leaving balls up and he's, you know, left a center cut fastball and Alberto Riaz hit it for a grand slam. Um, and I was like, as soon as that, that matchup happened, I was like, Oh, like this is, I actually thought to myself and I, I leaned over to the scout next to me. I said, I, He's going to go yard here, man. Like, because like, you know, Rios was swinging the bat great all weekend. And you could tell that the Vecchio was just spent, you know, and, and that to me is a reflection of maybe just the kind of lack of depth right now, the lack of guys, maybe that they, that they really trust in those high leverage situations. I mean, Savage has always been very structured with his bullpens. You think back to the way, like, you know, all right, like Zach Weiss, he's our eighth inning guy, David Burke's our ninth inning guy. And I forget who the seventh inning guy was like, you know, there's always like that kind of regimented structure and he will use guys a lot. Um, but that to me right now, I mean, he, I feel so much better about this team. If you could just stick Kelly Austin in the bullpen, because you know, which what their, their plan was, they wanted to go, um, you know, Alonzo Treadwell on Saturday and, and Flanagan on Sunday, they finally had all three of those guys healthy and it lasted one week. And then Treadwell went down with a back injury and, you know, Flanagan is getting ramped up now. I, I like him a lot. He's very talented left-hander with four pitches, but now you've got to ride Kelly Austin back in the rotation you know, at least until however long it takes Treadwell to come back if he does come back this year. So it's just yeah. like one thing after another, you know, and they're juggling yeah. people around on the infield and it's just like, can't get your break. It, it just feels like right now they're holding on for dear life. And this was a, just a huge dagger of, of, of an opportunity for them that they, they had it, you know, like they had this series, it was their road series win to get them back on track. And then to get it ripped away, boy, it just, it felt, it felt like a backbreaker to me. You know, that league's going to be fascinating because there are seven teams within four games of first place. Like both Oregon schools really have my attention right now. Both yes. Oregon State and Oregon have won five Pac-12 series. Now Oregon's five and two in Pac-12 series. Oregon State's five and three. It's just amazing. Like, I like what Mitch Canham's done with the Oregon State lineup where he's got Travis Bazana, who's played great this year, by the way. He's really broken out. And he's got Garrett Forster hitting one and two. So you kind of get backed into a corner where you almost – you get forced to pitch to one of the two of them. And like Garrett Forster had five hits in one game. And my first reaction was like, how do you let Garrett Forster do that? But because of the lineup construction, you kind of get shoved into that corner. So the Pac-12 is fascinating. Uh, Kendall and Joe, let me, let, let's wrap with the Big 12. So I had Texas and, and TCU this weekend. Both teams give you a ton to love. And then some stuff to, to say like, Man, that's a major concern. Like they're they're really both teams are a wild ride, and um, you know, like the best version of them, like Texas with Lucas Gordon on the mound, you're like, oh hell yeah, like uh, like give me anybody, right? Like because he's so good, the changeup's got a fifty percent swing and miss rate. They're very solid. Texas is not sexy, but they just they play catch, they put the ball in play. There's good at bats, one through nine. But then when Lucas Gordon's not on the mound, you really don't know what you're getting. TCU has got all these really interesting freshmen who are very talented. Anyway, here's my question for you guys. If I were to say to you, Kendall and Joe, and Fitzy, you can answer this too. I'm going to give you, win the the Big 12 regular season title. You can have West Virginia and Kansas State, or you can have the field with three weeks to play. You can have West Virginia and Kansas State, or you can have the field. Joseph, who would you like? Dead air is always good cut podcasting. Short, Texas. Say it again. I said uh, always good podcasting. Dead air. A uh, cut and shoot, Texas. By the way, <laughs> cut and shoot. Cut sorry. and shoot. Cut because cut and short just wouldn't make it. Give sense. me. Uh, I'll take. We- I'll I'll take West Virginia <laughs> or Kansas State. I, I think when you look at West, so West Virginia right now, guys, 
is a game and a half ahead of Oklahoma State. They have the head-to-head series win. And they finish with Kansas State at home and at Oklahoma. I, I like their chances there to hold on to that, that conference lead. Joe, yeah, I think that, I think that's right. I mean, I, I, that's the direction I was going to go. I mean, I, I just think no one in this league has really shown a ton of consistency. So I think it's valuable that West Virginia has the kind of lead that it that it does right now. And I think it's you know, no disrespect to West Virginia because their talent is is real, and we could sit here and go through it one by one. But we've we've talked about them before. But the fact that they have a, a game and a half lead in the standings and that Kansas state is right there in the mix, I think goes to show that those are teams. And look, this is what you have to do when you're teams like Kansas state and West Virginia that don't have some of the advantages of Texas and Oklahoma state and, and Oklahoma and TCU, da, 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 da. Um, there's rebuilding clubs in this conference. Texas is one of them. Oklahoma is, is one of them. Baylor is, is clearly one of them. Right. And those teams are taking advantage and that's kind of what you have to do in this league. There's history of, you know, you know, K state and, and even KU in some instances, the years when the big 12 is rebuilding, those teams have to take advantage and kind of pop up and, and they've done that. So I think there's a lot of negativity about the big 12. I've been a part of that. I'm not pointing fingers at everyone else. Like I've talked about it too, just like, man, somebody in the big 12, please step up. But the flip side of that is that, and I think Kendall put this in our internal WhatsApp, conversation over the weekend that the big 12 tournament actually might be kind of fun for different reasons right i mean maybe there's not going to be a team out there that we're just going to be able to gawk at and like oh this team is is awesome like you know some of the great texas teams or oklahoma state teams of the past or texas tech teams but it it might just be a total free-for-all where there's just so much at stake for every team involved and and that can be a lot of fun too love it can i I just make a comment real quick Mm-hmm. that I was actually looking at Oklahoma State's remaining schedule. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that is Oklahoma State's remaining schedule. So I, I actually still like West Virginia's remaining schedule. They have Oklahoma at home, Texas Tech at home, which th- at this point, like, I'm not so sure I really believe in Texas Tech very much. Uh, and then they're at Texas to finish the regular season. So I actually think I'll still take them. I, I like think they'll it. win those two home series. Yeah, I've become a believer in West Virginia now as yeah. well. Uh, and you know who else I believe in? To, to quickly uh, throw a curveball in here at the last minute is 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 the Maryland Terrapins, gentlemen. Yes. Um, going on the road, sweeping Indiana. Uh, they've won what eight straight series, something something like that. Uh, they've won a road series at Iowa, a road series at Indiana. Uh, they've won two or three against Rutgers. You know, really all the contenders that we kind of thought in this league yeah. they're cruising. They're 11 and four. They're only a game up in the standings, but they're in first place and the remaining schedule is very favorable. Uh, Maryland, man. I mean, just, just credit these guys for, you know, kind of a rough start. I mean, for, for a team coming off of uh, the year that they had last year, hosting a regional and, and, you know, having a decent amount of talent back, but still having some, a little bit of, a, a little bit of depth concerns in the mound. And we've talked about that. And then the first few weeks, I mean, um, lose a series at Ole Miss, they go 0 and three at Cambria. And it's like, yeah, you know, like, do they have enough? They were four and seven after three weeks. And now look at them. They're clearly the class of the big 10. Um, they're back in the top 25. It, you know, they're just, I just, again, I'm in, I'm they're for real. It's a, it rem- I was reminded this weekend, Butch Thompson, he gave me a, a a great quote of, you know, he just said simply very matter of factly, players are allowed to get better. Um, and he was referring to his pitching so staff. Right. Um, but I think this is a classic example of like teams are allowed to get better. I think, yeah. and I'm guilty of this as anybody, like we draw conclusions very quickly during the season and, and um, this, and the season is fairly short, right? I mean, it's a 56 games is a pretty small sample, but it is also long enough that a team can be really different in May. And, mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I just referenced Auburn. Auburn is one of those teams, right? Like, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I left them for dead. Probably, if you go back at a Highway Hoover episode, I probably said something leaving them for dead a few weeks ago, and, and here they are. So, um, just a great reminder that you know, teams sometimes take some time to gel, and there is time for that yeah. to happen. I, I would argue this as well. Like you know. Oklahoma State for me is like the Tennessee of the Big Twelve. Like I feel like they're one of those teams that, like, you may look at them now and you look at their resume and conference, and you're like, man, they've got some. Bad series losses, but I would not want them in my, in my regional. Seriously, they're going to like if I'm Arkansas and I go to Oklahoma State, like I'm not McClain. Yeah, and they'll get McLean back. Like we'll be healthy. Like we'll be 100 yeah. healthy when he comes back. Crazy, great call, Boys, Kendall. That's that is a great, great call. 
That is a great call. By the way, boys, uh, just to finish the thought on Maryland, April of 2021 was the last time they lost a Big Ten series, and it may not be until 2024 that they yeah. lose a Big Ten series. Like, it is unreal. They could go That's three crazy. years without – Yeah, yeah. and by the way, somebody asked me today in the chat if they had a shot to host. Um, they could win out the rest of the year, and they still will not get in the top 32. So, mm. probably not going to happen. I mean, I guess they could win every game of the conference tournament. It may sneak in there in that – 23 to 25 range, but it's going to be hard. Yep. Boys, well done. Let's cut it right there. We're just under an hour. You guys got to – we got to keep your pitch counts under control for Joe's the Joe's got to get his wagers in. Yeah, that's right. Kendall's got to <laughs> got to do some research, some Googling on, uh, you know, straight-up money odds betting, et cetera. Yeah. Um, that'll be call fun. Bookies. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Kendall's yeah. Googling. I'll call cookies. the Golden Nugget in Lake Charles. <laughs> Listen, just go up to cut and shoot. I'm sure they got some illicit uh, sports. I don't know. Cut and shoot may be better than Lake Charles. Yeah. Cut and shoot Texas feels like a, a, an area that rules itself. Uh, very good. Gentlemen, well done. Hey, we'll be back here for the uh, Wednesday night weekend preview. Uh, and that is it. We will catch you next time on the D1 Baseball Podcast. Hey, this is Mike Rooney of the D1 Baseball Podcast on the D1 Baseball Podcast Network. If you're looking for the most comprehensive college baseball talk in the country, we've got you covered here at D1 Baseball. Whether it's the players or teams or coaches or even the best atmospheres and fan bases in our sport, we're here to tell those stories and provide analysis along the way. We'll take you and your team from opening weekend to the conference tournament. We'll have you locked and loaded for Selection Monday and the regionals and super regionals. Hey, if all goes well, we'll guide you and your team all the way to Omaha and the College World Series. You can download D1 Baseball Podcasts right now on the SXM app, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. Just search D1 Baseball. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.